Hello. Welcome back to another episode of This Is Not a History Lecture. And I think we solved a problem. Yeah, we may have. Because your sound waves are finally as big as mine. Oh, they are? Yes. Yes! <laughs> so Cal found a way to finally like make our mics even by amping up the reception on mine, I think. I just turned her volume up. Oh, wow. We're getting into advanced garage band, y'all. <laughs> this is too much power for me. Which is funny because I actually sit closer to my mic than you do. You do. I'm just loud. But I'm pretty loud, too. But I'm just loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, we hope that we are coming to you evenly through the mics today. Yeah. And it's been it's been a hot minute. Yes. A lot has happened oh, in the God. last couple of weeks. Not just about the world. Oh, I was like, oh, no. Is there something big you didn't tell me? <laughs> no. We just saw each other for the first time in, like, three weeks uh-huh. a minute or two ago. Um, yeah. And normally we'd talk for, like an hour about how everything went but we have something after this today so we're actually constrained yep but um i think the last time when were like before you went to chicago yeah Mm -hmm. so it has been like three weeks yeah so how was your vacation cat it was very very good and desperately needed didn't know how badly i need that till i was like i did thanks (laughs) i knew how badly you needed that (laughs) yeah i did um but now I get to come back to the real world and do big girl stuff. Ugh, me yeah. too. Yeah. Went to Chicago. Great fun. I know. I'm very jealous of the museums and yeah, the Broadway we show the that your other friends saw. And Yeah. And a couple of us went thrifting while a couple of us went to see Six, The Six Wives of Henry VIII. I believe that's the full title. Everyone just calls it Six. Yeah. I yeah. Know. But for people who don't know, oh. Kat. If you don't know, go look up six, six on, just look up Six Broadway. Okay. Well, don't need to be snarky <laughs> about it, Catherine. What are you doing over there? I was sorry. My, <laughs> someone just sent me something. And I had to make sure it wasn't what I thought it was. Um, We're good. Yeah. We also did an architectural boat ride, which was great fun. <gasps> I've done one of those. It's a lot of fun. In Chicago. Yeah. Really crazy. Very massive city. Very walkable. I'm from Houston, which is the fourth largest city. And it's also one of the least walkable. It's late rated one of the least walkable cities in the nation. In in the world. (laughs) So, like, to be able to walk around downtown, I'm like, whoa. What is this? I am not used to public transportation systems at all. So, I was like, ugh. But, no, it was was a lot of fun. So, that was cool. Uh, I started my full-time job doing the same thing I was doing, but it's just full-time now. So. We both did it. We both did it. We, have bought job. Job. we got jobs. Well, I have a job, at least for now. Um, and I also set my thesis to pen date. Yes. Yes. So, did you see that email? Yes, I did. Yeah. I will, I should be there, oh, well, staring at to. you. That'll be weird. <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of want to stare at you. I was like, I was like, no, don't send it to the whole program. I don't want them to know. <laughs> this is private. <laughs> I mean, not really, though. Not really, though. It's literally like the public portion yeah. of whatever. It's just what it is. Anyway, those are my updates. Do you have any other updates? I'm sunburned. And I <laughs> guess, guess what Kat finally watched? Stranger Things? No, uh. Oh, (laughs) it has been a long time. (laughs) Yeah. I finally watched Our Flag Means Death. Yep. (laughs) So good. (laughs) 
I have a thing for like every single character. You see why I was begging you for two months to watch the I show? I knew, Cal. I knew that I needed to watch it. It was more a matter of when I was pet sitting Emma's dog, I had access to her HBO because <laughs> I don't have HBO anymore. Oh my god, no, it's so good. If you still haven't seen it, you should watch it because they finally renewed it for season two. And I have thoughts on that, but I'm not getting into on it. On the performative nature of them renewing it? <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. 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 No, I I was actually talking about that with our old marketing professor today because we had a meeting and he mentioned how it drives him crazy that during like Heritage or like, you know, Pride Month and stuff, people like save up stuff to mm-hmm. release it. And it's like, what? You don't have anything else going on in that month One of that's the, no, that literally could be... the top streaming show for two or three months like mm-hmm. two months straight which it's so hard to get a top tr- streaming show especially original content yep and they're like oh they're renewing all this other stuff and they're like it's like you knew you were going to they knew and they it makes me mad they were it's like to. i think people it makes a lot of people mad too because yeah it's like it's almost it's very tokenish like it it's very like okay you could have posted you said said anything during pride month you uh-huh. could have said but you like saved up the one thing you had and, going like literally stressed everyone out like everyone yeah. out. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, but I'm so anyway, glad they are renewing it. I'm glad too. Um, because I that would be awful. Have a lot I need to talk to you about a, in person about it. Someone, but that's gonna not be now because yeah. I don't want to bore them. Someone was like, "Y'all thought that uh, the Firefly fans were bad when they canceled the, their show. Imagine how bad our Fly Means Death fans are gonna be." <laughs> I mean, the they're not wrong. Firefly. Yeah, but Stranger tragic. Things Volume One of Part Four, so good. Volume four. They had to release in two separate sections because of oh, editing okay. and stuff. So they haven't dropped episode eight and nine, the gotcha. finales yet. Um, they're doing it on July first. But like, for those of you listening who watch Stranger Things, I have had that Kate Bush song stuck in my head. Oh my God, and the thing the is, hill. I actually had I didn't realize that Kate Bush was the original singer because I heard it first in another TV show. There's a cover of it by Placebo. Oh. And so that was the first way I knew that song. So I was like, what the is <laughs> happening? I was so confused, but it's so good. And now it's been stuck in my head. And that scene with Max, guys, oh, so well done. Loved it. I And since yeah, Kaylee can't geek out with me about it, I'm geeking out with y'all. I know what you're talking about. I, listen, I, I'm not anti-Stranger Things. It's just... I know, it's just not really your jammerama. I'll watch it eventually, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. not on your priority list. Yeah. But Which you know what should be? Is- Criminal Minds because they're taking it off of Netflix. I was just thinking about rewatching it too. <laughs> I have watch to watch my favorite seasons. Emily Prentice <laughs> had no kicking butt. <laughs> I, was, I only when I rewatch Criminal Minds, I watch those seasons. I just watch Matthew Gray Goobler and Emily Prentice, <laughs> and then I stop. Um, I should say Spencer Reed. There you go. Yeah. Um. One thing, one show that I started watching. Well, not started watching. Wait, do we need to leave it for your recommendations? Yes. Okay. okay. All right. Well, I mean, we got to get through it or else we'll be sitting here forever talking to you. So yeah. I think Sorry. This is how it usually goes when we haven't seen each other for a while, except usually we're going to get food and then we can talk for like 30 minutes in the Whataburger takeout line. Yeah. Yes. But unfortunately, we have to provide entertainment, I guess. Education. It is our podcast, so we can do whatever we want. But we shouldn't bore them too much. We shouldn't, I guess. Not yeah. today. Over time. So, anyway. Well... Today is a theme episode. It is, and it's Pride Month, and it's our first episode in Pride Month. And is it really? And huh? Is this our first Pride Month? We've done Pride before. We've done Pride before, but this is our this year. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. This, okay. I was I, like, I remember me. which ones I did last year. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me. So this is Monday, June 6th. We are recording. This episode comes out Tuesday, June 7th. Wednesday, June 8th is my birthday. Yes, And it is. last year, we had an episode come out on my birthday, and I didn't mention it, and I'm still kicking myself for that. So I would like to say that it is my birthday on this Wednesday. That's um, all I need. Yes. To, that's all um, you need to know. Good. Glad I you did. I just need to put that in the I'm universe. very glad you said it. I don't like celebrating my birthday, but I will be obnoxious about telling everyone it is my birthday. And that is valid. <laughs> so anyway, Kat, how shall you entertain me for my birthday? Well, we both... I think we, I don't even think we planned to theme it, but we, we did. We chose two topics for Pride Month, and then we're that like, "Oh, it's a theme episode," up. and so yeah, that works really yeah. well. So, I will be talking today about Lily Elba. I'm so interested because you've been talking about doing her for a while, y'all. I know, um, and I don't even know where I first heard about her, honestly. Um, uh, probably in some of your like World War Two related yeah. adjacent. You know, it might have been, it might have been in one of my books about Nazi book burning. There you go. Um, but yeah, because that has to do with this a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I guess I should dive straight on in. This I almost changed topics though. Is it bad? No, 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 no. I did. I almost changed my mind to do something about um, the history of guns and gun control. Oh. Um, we try to stay relatively maybe, topical. If there's something like big that goes on, um, maybe next week. Yeah. Well, we yeah, because that we so I guess we should. I know it's hard to talk about. But. Yeah. I mean, when we left the podcast the last time, Buffalo had just happened mm-hmm. um, in New York, and we were we kind of hoped that it wouldn't get any worse, and then literally like we recorded, like, and then like the next day there was a shooting was at like a church. A, yeah. And then a week later, Uvalde happened, and of course we're from Texas, and mm-hmm. so that, and that's so very close to home. Yeah, and it's it's hard because I I I know how our families are sometimes on different pages almost, but um, for me, I've been in like five active lockdowns in my life. In Texas, I don't. I mean, I know that a lot of people have had to go into lockdown, but that I'm like. I'm talking like I've been in five lockdowns where there was an active shooter on the property of the place where I was. And that's like, it's hard because in Texas we have watched this happen over and over and over again. And it's terribly for me annoying because lawmakers don't take any action. Not even, I'm not even talking like banning guns or anything like, but, but you know, mental health checks, um, age limits, you can drink and get drafted here before you can, (laughs) after you can't you can literally buy an ar before you can yeah like you can drink. buy a gun before you can smoke tobacco or rent a car yeah like there's there's just something wrong with that to me and it's it does hit really close to home here yeah. and since then i mean there's been two shootings in less than a week in chattanooga there's so many people dead i think there's like 17 people that died in mass shootings over the last weekend mm-hmm. in the u.s um yeah. so I feel like I need to do a history on that, but right now my brain is not there. And I wanted to keep to this because it is Pride Month, and maybe soon I will do something on the history of gun rights. I'm also not terribly well educated in, like, weaponry. Um, Yeah. For someone who studies wars, I don't do a whole lot of it, but... um, Well, you don't study that part of war. That's true. I don't do the military part. I do the, like, 
dying part. <laughs> Which is, I guess, the same thing. Um, <laughs> I was going to say. Um, close. Okay. But, yeah. Um, so I did stick with this topic, but just know that we aren't ignoring the yeah, stuff going on no. in the world around us. And the only reason why we haven't talked about it sooner is because we were pre-recorded. So yeah. We would have addressed it yeah, by now. last week, so. Um, just know that, I mean, you know, there's... It feels like there's nothing you can do, and in a lot of ways, there's not a whole lot you can do, mm-hmm. but there are, you know, funds for the surviving families, there's, um... There's people you can vote for who will... There's people you can vote for. Voting seems... It seems pointless sometimes. It seems pointless. Um, hold on. Uh, yeah, sorry, my... I had to take a phone call, but just... There are resources, and a lot of times, all you can do is donate. And if you have the funds to, then do that. If you don't have the funds to, and vote then... because and vote, that's huge. It's huge. Choose lawmakers that genuinely have your best interest at heart. Yes, be very intentional with who you vote for. Um, voting seems pointless a lot of the times, but it's honestly the best we got um, to make any actual change happen. If you want to get involved. I know that there's lots of organizations throughout the country mm-hmm. that you can involve with, get involved with. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we're not ignoring that at all. We are paying attention to it, as we know the rest of the world is as well. Um, but we did not switch our topics because these were pre-chosen, and I had already done some of my research. And this is we really here. important history too. Yes, it is. Yeah, that I'm definitely not diminishing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is also a history I don't think I've done a sorry I don't think I've done a trans person yet if, have I? I don't I know don't, if I, I have I can't say if I have um, so I want to make that disclaimer about terminology we made when we, when we started this podcast um, the terms that I'm going to use today to the best of my knowledge are the proper ones to use Cal you can check me on whatever you want if I say something wrong or use the wrong term for something please let me know I'll be um, the Google assistant well, in, sometimes it doesn't help that terminology changes very quickly, mm-hmm. especially in uh, subjects like this. So if by the time you listen to this, some of this is outdated or offensive, I apologize. But I anything I was not sure about, I Googled to try and make sure that I was using the right term for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is why I will be referring to Lily Elb today as she, her. Yes. Because... She was throughout, and her life. throughout her life. Yes. Yeah. Even so, prior even, to transition. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if y'all don't know, Lily Alb is the, debatably, and I'll get into that, the first woman to undergo gen- gender reassignment sur- surgery. But it's kind of more complicated than that because the, the, edu- the medical history is complicated and there are some people they believe could have undergone similar surgeries before, Hmm. but um, I believe that widely accepted is Lily Elb as the first um, transgender woman to receive reassignment surgery. Um, There was someone I found record of that wanted to undergo the surgeries not long before Lily did, but knew that the complications and risks of the life to their life was too high and didn't want to risk it. So they didn't undergo it. Um, there's evidence that Erwin Gorbant, 
I believe his name is, had performed this same surgery. The There was stages to Lily's surgeries. And the last one, um, when it was performed a few weeks before that, or when Gore Harp, Gore, gosh, Gorb, all right, I'm all struggling. Right. Yeah, take Gore a band. There it's we been, go. It's been a while since we recorded. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Stumbling over words. Erwin Gorbant had performed that same surgery on Dora Richter only a few weeks before. Okay. So it was kind of like a, not a race, but it was really, really close together. It was happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And Dora Richter is often considered, well, sometimes considered the first person to complete the male to female gender reassignment surgery. Gotcha. The, when, if you Google, like, first reassignment surgeries and stuff, you'll usually come up with Lily, though. Okay. And I'm not sure if that's because of classism, since Dora Richter was born in a really, like, low class and wasn't, you know, widely known or anything. Um, there's not a lot of information about her, because when mm-hmm. I first started researching Lily and found Dora, I was like, oh, I'll do, I'll talk about, like, both of them, or maybe I'll switch over to Dora. And I found, like an article or two at best Mm -hmm. um, that had enough stuff to really flesh out. So I stuck with Lily, but I did want to mention Dora. Um, When she underwent her surgery, they had documented a lot of the process and her life in the, uh, in documents that were later burned when the Nazis overtook the Institute. Mm. Um, The, I've talked, I think, before about, like, the Institute of Sexual History and, like, the clinics and Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff being just, like, raised to the ground by the Nazis because, you know, they didn't like homosexuality. They didn't like anything that wasn't their perfect little society. Um, And some think that she, not only did her records and story get burned, but that she herself may have been killed. We have no records of what happened to her after that point. So she could have died when the Nazis attacked the Institute. They may have taken her into custody and she might have died there or been murdered. Um, But there is one record that suggests she may have escaped and gone back to her hometown. But that's like a, it was a very small mention in someone else's diary or something well, even if that's not the case, let's let's pretend it is. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think that it yeah. is. Um, I, I'd like to think that she opened a little restaurant in her hometown and that that diary or entry was correct. Yeah. Yes. But um, while I couldn't find much on Dora Richter, I did find more on Lily. So Lily was born on December 28th in 1882. And I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. I'm so sorry. Ville, Denmark. V-E-J-L-E. Vigle? Vigle? I'm going to have to go with Vigle. I'm not... They use their J's in a different way that I'm super familiar with. And, like, It threw me off. Yeah, I'm I'm apologizing now, guys. I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. And Lily was... Yeah. Lily was assigned male at birth um, to parents Anne-Marie Thompson and Morgan Wilhelm, who was a spice merchant. Ooh, Yay spicy. for spices. <laughs> Most of her life. Yeah, I'm spicy. <laughs> Most of her life was spent as a man, uh, like proportion wise, um, ratio, transition, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty standard childhood growing up and all that, but Lily always had a really big talent for art in her whole life. 
talented enough to go study at the Royal Danish Academy of Fine Arts in the earlier 1900s, which is pretty, pretty impressive. And that's located over in Copenhagen. And that is where Lily met Gerda Gottlieb. Gerda was from a pretty conservative family. Her father was a Lutheran vicar. Um, and she and Lily fell in love at the Institute, met there, probably shared some love of art, et cetera, et cetera. And they got married within a couple of years. And if I can do this math in my head correct, um, it would be at the ages of 22 and 19. At this time, Lily was still presenting as a cisgender man. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was pretty standard marriage for the time nothing that people would have looked at yeah um scandalous yeah um there is a book published in the 1930s that depicts lily's journey with her gender although it's unclear exactly who wrote it because it may have been some of her own writing but it was most likely her friend ernst ludwig hawthorne jacobson under a pseudonym of niels hoyer who wrote it using her diary entries uh, with approval and her last wishes, of course. not He didn't just exploit her. He, mm-hmm. like, she wanted this to be written. Okay, but, that's cool. Yeah, but the story, according to her journals and the story, is that Lily kind of realized that being a woman was what felt right to her. Okay. Um, the the story goes is that Gerda had needed a model for one of her illustrations because Gerda did fashion illustration and painting. She was very talented in Art Nouveau and Art Deco styles. And Gerda's original model didn't show up one day for a, a, a sitting so that Gerda would be able to like illustrate something. Gotcha. And um, they were talking to their friend. Um, I put her name in here. Oh, uh, an actress named Anna Larson. And Anna suggested, well, why doesn't, why doesn't your spouse sit for it instead? You know, like same kind of build and frame. It wouldn't be hard to illustrate based on that. And uh, Gerda convinced her spouse to sit and model for that. And after a little bit, Lily ended up sitting for pretty much all of Gerda's illustrations. And it was, it became a very standard thing for her to, you know, put on women's clothing and start modeling. And some of her journal entries start to um, kind of explore the idea that she felt more at ease, more right when she was dressing as a woman and that mm-hmm. it, it was just comforting and it was so- like something clicked for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may have been Anna Larson actually that, walked into one of their modeling sessions later and suggested the name Lily as almost like a personification or character that um, she would step into. And the way it was described was two people, you know, two very different people um, that Lily kind of switched between. And um, the last name, the Dres, it's the Elb, is apparently a river that flows through Dresden, um, which is what she selected eventually because that's where she ended up getting some of her later operations in Dresden, Germany. Mm. So it was very poetic. Um, yeah. But yeah, Gerda continued to use her as a model all the time. Lily herself at the time was doing a lot of landscaping in the post-impressionistic style, but definitely had an appreciation I, for... I really forgot that she was a painter. And I was like, 
She got into landscaping? Okay. Not like she started a business? Okay, girl boss. Let's go plant some flowers today. In the post-impressionistic style, I was like... (laughs) No, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Lily definitely had an appreciation for Gerda's art style as well. Um, But Lily was very, very accomplished. Um, Lily even exhibited some of her art at... I'm going to botch this French pronunciation. Salon d'Automne in Paris, France. Paris, France? <laughs> I like how my Texas accent came in on the Paris, France. <laughs> you really, you practiced the one word and not I Paris, France. <laughs> I did. Um, but it's very prestigious and she'd gotten awards for her work and everything, but her work itself was under her legal name and her cisgender male um, personification. Gotcha. So it was very much that kind of duality that she was experiencing. It was a little bit well, it was more than a little bit. It was a lot of bit scandalous when word came out in their hometown in Copenhagen that Gerda was using her spouse at the time again, a cis male, and like as a model for her paintings and, you know, Lily was putting on, you know, women's clothes and all that and it basically drove them out of their town, um, forced them to leave. And eventually after bouncing around a little bit, they moved to Paris together. And this seems to be a recurring theme between Josephine Baker and Matahari and all these other people. But Paris is kind of like the more freewheeling place to be. <laughs> what do you mean a recurring theme throughout all of history? <laughs> Paris is just awesome. It's just great. Everyone's just having a real good time there. Except Paris. for not in a couple of weeks I'm doing a topic about when people were not having a good time in Paris. <laughs> Paris is... Paris has been a lot of things throughout history. Let's I gotta go to that. Paris. I say all this without ever having stepped foot in Europe. So <laughs> it's, it's a really funny because like in like historians, like academic historians, you either like love Paris and you study it or like French history. Or you like, like, hate, you, like it. hate it. <laughs> yeah, That's true. It's such a meme. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. As we saw in our other weeks, this is the kind of the refuge um, place to be and express yourself and all that. And Lily, in fact, felt comfortable and safe enough there that she would appear back and forth, sometimes as Lily and sometimes as, I believe it's pronounced Einar? E-I-N-A-R? Okay. Einar? Einar? Um, her birth name. Yeah, her okay. birth name. Um, sometimes at these parties or events, Gerda would present Lily as the sister of Einar. Like, as a sister-in-law to probably to keep some, not suspicion away, but, you know. You don't want to explain that all the time. Yeah, yeah, and that way no one questions. Everyone just kind of assumed Gerda was married to a cis man, and it allowed Lily to appear without judgment or, Mm -hmm. I mean, still in 1920s. No matter how freewheeling Paris was at the time, people would still have, you know, treated them differently, had misconceptions. And, again, like you said, who wants to just explain that at every party you go to? Like, it's It's easier to just say, this is my sister-in-law. This Lily. It's the Roaring Twenties. Let's drink some champagne, dance to Charleston, and... I mean, props to her wife, too, for being so willing to be like, yeah. yeah, Like, like, yeah. We're chill with this. Let's do it. No, I'll make up a story for you and everything. (laughs) Yeah. We're gonna have a girls' night out, you know? Yep. Um, Over time, though, Lily started to officially transition to kind of a more full-time basis which is a very fraught process for her i can't imagine i mean stigmas these days are bad enough but mental health in the time is quite terrible and it's not addressed like it is now not that everyone you know has access to it now but back then doctors just rather than try to 
figure out or offer therapy or um, counseling or anything like that. Instead, doctors just opted to deem Lily as schizophrenic to mm. address the internal conflict that she was facing, which basically invalidated her whole experience and tried to gaslight her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause imagine being like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman. I, and, and then someone gaslighting you and being like, no, it's just your no, you're, like brain doing yeah, it. That's it's so, awful. Um, that's hard. so in, the experience, the confusion, the dis- being discredited and written off and gaslit got so bad that eventually Lily picked a day mm-hmm. and decided that if things didn't get better by that point, she was just going to end it for herself. Um, and she was cl- quickly closing in on that date of May 1st, 1930, when Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld said he could help her. Mm-hmm. So, um, there are a few major surgeries that Lily underwent. Um, of course, being one of the first to undergo these operations also means that Lily is in no way dealing with standardized practices that are safe or proven or widely tested. And the German Institute for Sexual Science, the one in uh, Berlin, I think I've mentioned it before in Mm -hmm. other episodes. I definitely mentioned it in the episode about book burning, but I could be wrong. I say no, definitely, I, I and remember, then I could be wrong. No, but, I remember that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, the term at the time that they deemed this surgery was transsexualism. And that term is still used. Um, there's, like, transgender, and within that, I was looking it up to make sure I used the right terms. Um, but within that umbrella of transgender, it, that term still applies sometimes. It's just a more specific term. But at the time, that's what they deemed these surgeries and... Um, Lily's status. Gotcha. So, um, this institute is the one that offered her a credible enough operation to make the change permanent. So, the first major operation ended up taking place in 1930. Um, there would be a few throughout 1931, like in between the two, the between the years. Mm-hmm. Um, the first happened in Berlin. The later ones happened in Dresden. Again, that's where she got the name Lil, or Elba. Mm-hmm. I can't say that Elb. My, I keep wanting to add an E to the end of it. Elba. Um, <laughs> that's your Texan kicking in. Elba. Elba. Yeah. Um, but the surgeries were performed by a German gynecologist named Kurt Warnercross. And magnus hirschfeld was like the consultant that kind of offered opinions and advice although a couple sources that i found said that the first operation was performed by erwin gorbant who was the guy that did dora richter's surgery okay um so there's like like crossover and connection i'm assuming this is an extremely niche field yeah yeah Um, not too many people doing this back in the day yeah well and i believe it's hirschfeld uh magnus hirschfeld i believe he's the one we learned about in one of our classes um, a while ago, but he was more than just like the guy who, you know, consulted on the surgery. He had radicalized the idea of like studying homosexuality mm. and proving it in like in a good way, in a progressive way, gotcha, not like okay. a, this is unnatural. No, like super, <laughs> like, like wanted to prove that like, there's nothing different about these His people. His name does sound really familiar. Yeah. Um, I believe there's like an award or two named after him now. Um, but 
he's the one that would like refer patients and be like, Hey, you're questioning things. Like there's a group of people here or these people meet here on this night. Like you mm-hmm. might want to go like find the community and help like build it up and believe that like talking about it would help imagine that. What? But he Crazy. would like take his patients out on like walks and just chat with them and stuff. And he was like starting to, he, he was really the first one who suggested that there was not a binary like mm. in gender and sexuality and that all of this was like a, a, a spectrum like that okay. there's yeah, yeah. Gotcha. so he was really progressive really early on from what everyone else was kind of assuming gotcha um so he'd be a really cool one to do an episode on at some point as well um and the problem with talking about lily's medical procedures is that i am in no way <laughs> educated enough on medical procedures <laughs> to accurately describe anything it's like when you try to do a battle and, and when you're doing like a war oh like, yeah and you're uh, like i'm gonna say these words to you but just know that i don't know what any of these mean <laughs> i mean you're talking to a girl who thought that cavalry and calvary were like the two same things until i was like in middle school <laughs> That's why I don't do war history. Um, That's why. Which is ironic because guess what's coming up in a couple weeks? (laughs) Uh, Anyway. um, (laughs) I was like, do I know? (laughs) uh, It's uh, anniversary of the surrender of France. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we will actually be talking about military military history. There you go. Y'all hang in there, please. Please. Um, For dear life. But uh, yeah, I'm not apt enough to describe in detail these medical procedures or anything and it doesn't help that transitions now are very different and Mm. um that's also part of what gives people pause saying who had the first reassignment surgery because this was done in stages and what does it really mean to undergo the full Mm -hmm. when does it become yeah a reassignment yeah is it the removal of one and the addition of another Mm is because those were done in different procedures um yeah but the I can kind of give you not a step by step, but the first was sort of like a surgical, um, like medical like castration procedure, and then the following procedures were more to build on that and kind of transplant human ovarian tissue during one of the operations, um, and you know take the like make it more feasible to. I'm not sure what the middle two medical operations were. It just gets really confusing, but mm-hmm. um. Towards the end of 1930, Lily did manage to get a passport with the name Lily Ilse Evan Elv- Elvinus. And by October of 1930, she and Gerda actually had their marriage annulled. Interesting. Um, I'm not sure what Gerda's sexuality is or anything. Um, she seemed very supportive, obviously, of Lily's, you know, transition and presentation mm-hmm. and everything. Um, also... Gerda, in her illustrations, had been known before to illustrate, like, lesbian erotic, like, art, so... Interesting. I think she was... What's more interesting, well, objectively, is that there's something dripping in your bathroom, it sounds like. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, it happens from time to time. There's (laughs) just, just, like, this huge splash, and, like, for no reason at all, it'll just happen. Okay. As long as... Just so you know. Yeah, it happens. Okay. Um, Sometimes at 2 a.m., and it scares the living daylights out of me um daylights yeah yeah i hate my apartment so much yeah just 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 wanted to make sure you nope. knew yeah thank you anyway i wasn't continue. sure what the yes. dripping sound was i thought that, it was you what am i dripping over i here? don't know that's why i was very concerned i thought it was your water bottles <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh, anyway. Um, I haven't picked up a water bottle in like 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was confused. Um, so anyway, back to the other more, yeah. more interesting stuff. Yeah. So I'm not sure what Gerda's sexuality is or anything like that. Um, but I, I feel like she was chill with whatever. You know, Yeah. Um, i'm also picking up that vibe yeah but unfortunately the king of denmark was not all here for it and um king of denmark well in the courts and all that and they basically said that the government since lily is officially since lily was perceived as having transitioned at that point because she was always a woman but like having been perceived at that point as a woman by the public and having gotten her passport and everything they annulled their marriage because gotcha. that wasn't allowed gotcha. um uh it it's interesting because they did seem to part ways amicably at least for a while there were some suggestions that over time things kind of deteriorated between them and they didn't stay very close or anything like that but they also unfortunately this did not have a lot of time after that mm-hmm. annulment um, for things to depreciate that much. Um, yeah. Soon after their annulment, um, a friend asked Lily to marry him, and it was an art collector named Claude Lejeune. That was a pretty good conversation. <laughs> um, um, Lily herself had kind of stopped painting, but Claude Lejeune was an art collector, so I have a feeling they met through the art and like sphere of things that community um when lily stopped painting she said that it was kind of because the rest of the world would perceive her work as her old self as her cis Mm -hmm. male self and that she didn't want that part of her Mm -hmm. you know she would leave that to the old perception of her and she would just kind of do her own thing and this engagement she was like enthusiastically excited for it she was so um in love and just uh, this new prospect of uh, starting this new life in the way that she finally wanted it. Um, and then she decided to have her final surgery. Mm. It would involve the transplant of a uterus and a constructed uh, vagina so that she could try and conceive a child with her new fiance, like in the old fashioned way, I guess. Um, because I'm not sure what fertility practice are practices are at this time. I'm sure there's like surrogacy and stuff. That's not, I mean, it's the 1930s. I feel like they have surrogates at that point, but mm-hmm. I don't know what other options they would have had. So, but Lily really wanted to be able to have like kids and start like build a family okay. with her new husband how, how and everything. How old was she at this point? Oh, I can't do math in my brain. When I want to say born? like, um, uh, I want to say like 45. Oh, she so. would have been like 40 between. She's kind of past no, even. No, she's a little... She's got to be past it. I think probably like 48 oh, or 49. She's past like prime child rearing years for... By our... Woman. Well, by our standards. And also our standards are a little bit messed up. Like the medical history of that whole concept that like after 35, it's actually like rooted in some extremely misogynistic and incorrect medical information from... Actually, I think it's France and like... Like, <laughs> telling you, like France? hundreds of years ago. Like it's... It, well, I should okay i'm gonna go look that up sometime and i'll talk about that but i yeah i, I there's know something you're saying, to be said but about like risks also, and stuff because risks do increase as you, get, as older. you yes. get older and close to 50 is pretty old to be having a child especially i mean at this time as well yeah um a lot of 
the standard was probably blood. Yeah. I'm not saying there's not health risks that, you know, need to be monitored. And, um, but I see what you're saying. Yes. But, um, but the yeah. whole BS about like, Oh, you have to have a kid when by you're the time you're 25. 22. Yeah. That's, that's rooted in some really old misogynistic stuff. Um, medical studies and people who didn't understand what they were talking about. But, um, it's just, of course, left a lasting impact on our the way we see women and their families and their choices. This is why history is important, kids. Yes, it is. Um, but yeah, no, Lily was a little bit older um, than I. Th- it did kind of surprise me. I won't lie. When I saw that number, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Because if you think about it, by the time your kid's twenty, you'll be like seventy. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Or like you know, you'll be seventy at your kid's like graduation or something like that, which can mm-hmm. be. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just like not the norm for this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Lily was really excited to be able to conceive a child with her new fiance in that old fashioned way. Um, ultimately the surgery itself worked like they completed the surgery and, um, Lily was recovering, but, it's a very taxing surgery and yeah. without the medical knowledge that we have now, um, not just in like the sanitizing your stuff correctly or, you know, practices that you follow in the operating room, but they also didn't have the medication to fight off certain mm. things like complications. I mean, the medications we give people now when they're, they have transplants wouldn't be developed for another like half a century. So basically yeah. her body rejected the transplanted uterus. I was wondering too, because do they have like even compatibility trust testing at this not, point? Not in the way that, no. Yeah. Yeah. Not in that way that we do now. Um, and it did give her a really, really bad infection. Ooh. And so while she was recovering in women's clinic in Dresden, her heart gave out. She had heart Ooh. paralysis. Um from the infection and it killed her just before her 49th birthday. So like the fact that the surgery worked and the fact that Dora Richter had completed that same surgery just weeks before probably gave them some sense of surety. Like, I don't know if that's a word. Yeah. Like like in the sit where it it hadn't not been done before, Uh even if it was like only the second or third time someone had done it or attempted it, it was, yeah. Um, it, it, and it would have worked, like it would have worked if it weren't for the complications of that come with every transplant and the possibility of a body rejecting a donated organ. Um, so when Lily died, like I said, she, with, she gave approval that her personal account be assembled from her diary by her friend Ernst. Um, the official title of it ended up being Man into Woman. It showed up first in Danish and German in 1933. It didn't take long for it to be written in English as well, which is... Um, it, it came not long after that in the 1930s, but then it got reissues in English in 1953 and 2004. There's also another famous book written in 1975 called Conundrum, which is written by Jan Morris in 1940... No, 1950... Sorry, discalculate. <laughs> 1975. Ooh, that was different than it anything It really you said. was. I know. Um, who wrote about her own reassignment surgery, and she directly contributed her 
inspiration and strength to Lily Elves' story to saying like when I was reading her book and like I I, right. I understood it, it made sense to me and it just helped her. Um, so it definitely left a lasting legacy, even mm-hmm. if Lily couldn't tell the story herself. Mm-hmm. She, her writings and her diaries and all that could still contribute to this movement and this yeah. community more than you know almost anyone else could mm-hmm. at this time and after lily died they published the story of her like med like her more medical side of things the transition mm-hmm. they did try to publish it um they did use a pseudonym to cover up everything um as mentioned for everyone's privacy not just lily's but also uh, gerda's and some of their friends and everything. Um, but that anonymity also throws some complications into things because they changed a couple facts and dates to kind of ambiguize Make sure that no one it. could, yeah. like, wait, I know this person. Yeah. yeah. Um, which makes it really hard. We actually, like, don't know for sure what Lily's birth date is. Oh. Because of... Yeah. Yeah. Um, there has been... I mean, it doesn't help that literally all of her medical records were, like, burned. No, that usually The Nazis kind of did a number on that one. Help. Yeah. No, I can think of very few things that the Nazis helped. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I really I really can't, other than certain cars. I was going to say, other than the VW Bug. There's... And, and even then, I, I don't want to say that they did anything beneficial ever, because they did it terrible. Because those cars apparently suck. <laughs> oh, did they really? They're just cute. Oh. <laughs> well... Let's just be clear. The Nazis suck on every level, guys. Yeah. Just to reinstate that whenever possible. Yeah. 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 We'll say that a lot. Um, There have been a lot... Because, again, we lost our medical records and everything. We don't know... There's a lot of speculation, I should say, around Lily's medical... Like, what the procedures went... Like, how they went. How they um, were successful or weren't. It left room for interpretation on certain things some people have suggested that um lily actually had like was born with a chemical balance that was a little bit different than the heteronormative like what we have now um Mm -hmm. that she may have had more estrogen than normal others say that she may have actually been born intersex like hermaphroditic or had Klinefelter syndrome, which is when you have um, two or more X chromosomes in addition to your Y chromosome. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's left a lot of questions and it's been paid attention to over the past few years, a lot more than usual. It's gotten pretty famous to um, not just researchers, but um, people in general as seen by the, book published in 2000 called the danish girl written by david Erbershoff, um it, which was made into a film in 2015 which starred okay. eddie redmayne um yes, yes. um like that sounds so familiar yeah it, it's a in, there was criticism around it about having a cis man playing yeah. um lily and eddie did say he ended up regretting he's like i shouldn't have taken that role which i appreciate um mm-hmm. but the acting itself was really really good um but they should have definitely cast a trans actor yes or actress sorry um they should have definitely cast a trans actress um would have made a lot more sense it's not like we don't have thousands of accomplished trans actresses but it's fine um but yeah that whole clinic was pretty much 
lost um, whatever the Nazis hadn't burned. That whole clinic was destroyed. The Dresden's Women's Clinic was destroyed when the uh, Allies were bombing Germany. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing just went... So, like, nothing at all survived. So we don't know a lot of our factual stuff, but um, the operation, now that it had been done, they knew they could do it again. Um, yeah, like, the yeah. gender reassignment stuff. Yes. They might not have known the mechanics of, like... Yeah. But there well, were enough people who could say, like, this is what we did first, this is step one, then step yeah. two. Then... I mean, ultimately, she sacrificed herself. Yes. To make that progress. Yeah. 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 Which is... I... I kind of, I mentioned it somewhere, um, because people, it really bothers me how much people try to minimize the trans community and say that, like, oh, just deal with it, or, like, you're born that way, or whatever, like, like, the way that you're assigned at birth has to be the way, because it's, it's not, like, people did sacrifice themselves, and mm-hmm. she was, Lily was willing to risk her life because it was that important to her that she get to live as she, as she identified and, and was, and mm-hmm. she ended up saying, it may be said that 14 months is not much, but they seem to me like a whole and happy human life. Mm. And, like, she did sacrifice herself, like you said. And yeah. it was that time spent as her authentic self was worth everything else. Yeah. Because she got to be her. Mm-hmm. And, um, unfortunately, her grave was actually destroyed in the 1960s. It was leveled. Um, but Focus Features, who produced produced the danish girl movie mm-hmm. actually paid and financed her a new tombstone and they have it marked now that's nice yeah yeah that's um, nice so it kind of this is one of those cases where like her sacrifice has definitely lived on mm-hmm. and it's you know it's not for nothing yeah we've got yeah. so far to go still but like it like you said not for nothing yeah so yeah. i wish she could have known that though i'm sure she does yeah yeah i'm sure she does in whatever afterlife you believe in. Yeah. I'm sure she does. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that is the sad and un- the, the marvelous and brave story with a sad ending of Lily Elp. Thank you, Kat. That yeah. was very well done. Well, thank and you. I'm glad I know more about her. So I'm glad I got to talk about her. Yeah. She yeah. seems honestly like I really want to talk to this like amazing artist who like I looked at some of her paintings. They're really cool. They're really pretty. That's cool. Yeah. That's great, Kat. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Uh, Quick water break. Everyone go to the bathroom. Get your water. Touch some grass. Kaylee, what's your TV show rec? Um, Well, I just thought of another one, so I'm going to do two. One, The Boys. Fantastic. Mm, mm -hmm. It is very gory. I will say that up front. It is. They no holds barred on the board. It's like Game of Thrones. It's not like they focus on it, but it's just very... It's very, like, realistic to the point where it's, like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, like, I think It's a not lot... a Marvel Avengers movie. I was going to say, it's not a Marvel movie where you see, like, maybe a little trickle of blood. It's, like... If you punch no, someone like with super strength through their face, like, that's what's, what's going to happen. happen. If a person blows up, yeah, that's, that's what's, what's going to happen. happen. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so it's not like they focus on it a lot, but it is kind of, like... <laughs> there's a couple content warnings on that show that you'll... Oh, yeah, you'll, yeah, if, yeah. Yeah, check your trigger warnings yeah, before that show. Yeah, other Definitely check your trigger warnings, but it is a very healthy, I think, take on the super, uh, not super, I was going to say supernatural, <laughs> because Vincent Ackles is in it now. You, I know, I was going to say, did you have a Freudian slip there? <laughs> well, all of a sudden it's 2013 again. <laughs> um, 
no, it's a, it's kind of, it's providing that, you know, bit of just a check on the superhero, everything, Mm -hmm. you know, I really enjoy it. The first couple episodes came out of season three and they were really good. So if you're into that kind of stuff, check your warnings, but that's really good. Yeah. Uh, other thing is I found out on TikTok that there is, I mean, there's a million like versions of Wordle. Um, but this one's called Framed. You just, like, look up, like, framed Wordle game or something. But it literally gives you six different screenshots from movies. And the point is to guess what movie it is. Oh, I might actually the... play that. Oh, dear. I know. I've oh, been playing dear. it. It's so fun. It's so fun. I won't tell you today's, but it was pretty It was pretty. Oh, do. dear. Um, Don't do that to me. That's going to be so unhealthy. It's once a day. That's true. I guess it's not, like, an it's addictive game. It's once a day. It'll take, that... like, two or three minutes tops. That's true. Okay. Yeah. You so there's me. nothing unhealthy Sold. about that. Done. It's something fun to look forward to. Okay, that's yeah. that's fair. So those are my recommendations for the day. What about you, Catherine? Mm, okay. I know Cal's recommended it before. The Mirror Visitor series. I finished the first one while Did I was on the beach. Finish it's the so first good. one. It's so good. It's so good. It's Winter's Promise. I know it was forever ago that Cal recommended that, but during the end of grad school, I was like, I can't do this right now. I it's so it requires so much attention because it it's a detail oriented world building. Involved. Yes. Yeah, and so I like finally laying on the beach was like. I'm going to read some like smutty beach reads and I did. And then I was like, I read like a whole book. And so I was like, that was like refreshing. I like read a, like a rom-commy book and I was like, okay, it refreshed my brain. got my brain back in like the reading mindset. And then I could dive into like the harder, like, because I was most of the way done with it anyway. I had like two chapters left, but now I have to wait till tomorrow until we're with Emma and talk about it with her. (laughs) So good. So good. So So, yeah. Um, that's my recommendation for y'all is that Uh, I really, I'll double down on that. So anyway, I guess it means it's my turn. It is your turn. Hit it, Kale. So today I have a little theme in a theme. Ooh. Ooh. Um, themeception because the two people I'm talking about today both had, it's not that their lives weren't notable because everyone's life is notable but just, they just we don't have as a lot of written, history yeah. about them. So there's not as much material to go over. Um, so my theme within a theme is trans people specifically in the American West. Ooh. And they were both born. One was born in 1850 and one was born in 1849. And I did not do that on Whoa. purpose. <laughs> I, I That's was like, really close That's together. Really weird. What the heck? Um, two very different individuals, two very different lives. But I was like, that's wow. Those birth dates are really really interesting so the first one i'm going to talk about is um a person a man by the name of little joe monahan that's his name that's what he's known by to this day that's what he was known by back in the day this little joe i love little joe monahan that sounds like such a like a oh that's just that's just all joe monahan yeah you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, uh so he was um, an immigrant from the East. And I want to talk, just to preface this, I want to talk a little bit about how, at least in the white settlers in the West, um, how different culture was in the West to the East. I believe I've talked a little bit about this one on my History of like Sex Work episode. Um, but, which I believe was episode 50? It was a little bit ago. Yeah. Um, but if you want to hear more about it, I talk a little bit about there, about it there, but just to re reiterate. So because for the first time, 
we have all of these people who are moving from the really, really well-defined and rigid social structure of the East to literally, like, all these words are not accurate, but, like, there's no society, there's no structured society, at least among white colonizers Mm -hmm. in the American West in the 1800s, right? So all the rules that they once lived with are just... A lot of them try to keep up with some of the rules just because it's how they were raised, what Mm -hmm. they, you know, view as the right way to do things, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, there's not that such, like, rigid social structure, which means that people who live, quote, outside the bounds of that really, like, rigid Eastern society and culture are able to have more freedom in the West than they would have in the East, which is why you see such prominence of sex workers and how they became so influential to society in the day how you see um people like little joe monahan who are able to just live their lives and like not suffer like the intense social consequences that would have happened in the east um just so just so we know like that's kind of the context of what's happening now um and much like cat did i'm going to be referring to little joe monahan as a man throughout this even before he transitioned officially. Um, This is a much less formal transition, uh, as you'll see, because he's living in the American West. Yeah. Um, But he did, like... Lawless West. Yes. He was a man and lived as a man and was accepted as a man for a very long time. So I do believe that he was trans and he was a trans man. So, and I think a lot of people, most people would agree. So little Joe Monaghan is believed to have been born as jo- Man- Joanna Monahan in Buffalo, New York in 1915. 19, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> um, we, we really don't know a lot about his early life at all um, because he hid the fact that he was, you know, born as a woman and is now living as a man. So he just didn't talk about his early life. Mm-hmm. So his neighbors who, um, after he passed, they were some of the only people who were able to provide any information that we know about him since he never talked about it. They didn't know, so <laughs> there was just <laughs> there's just no way to get that history. You know, mm-hmm. we do have some census records that seem to suggest that he might have been born as Mary Manuman, which could be kind of a he could have adapted Manahan, Monahan from that. Um, although there was also another young servant girl in the house at the time named Joanna Burke. Um, so we really don't have a clear idea of his true birth name but that doesn't matter because he went by joe for most of his life um we do know that he was born and raised female at least to a certain age we do not know really when he starts identifying like actively identifying and moving through society as a man Mm -hmm. um it's assumed that it's when he moves west so according to journalist accounts after he's has after his desk desk death I really haven't recorded in a while either. I know. I was, the whole time I was like, <laughs> talk with your teeth. Talk I know. with your teeth. Um, so I, I, I want to say that, that a, a lot of what we have about his life is from journalist accounts. And as we all know, those always aren't, you know, the most reliable. So There's a lot a of bias. this. Not that we don't have a bias. <laughs> right. <laughs> an extremely uneditorial <laughs> podcast. Ain't um, no one going to tell me. Uh, yeah. So... Um, just, you know, we do believe that most of this is true, but 
you know, the details might not be as specific as I'm relaying just because there's not, you know, these are the accounts we have and that's what we have. Um, so journalists do claim that apparently his mother dressed him in young, like as a young child in boys clothing in order to sell newspapers on the street, which is not unheard of in history. I believe it was, was it Mary Reed who also dressed up as a boy Mm -hmm. to do like labor? Well, Um, it's interesting because like dressing up as a woman as a child is more stigmatized than a girl being dressed as a boy because femininity is seen as a weakness, Mm -hmm. which is why girls wear pants nowadays yeah. but most many not most but many men would feel ashamed to wear a dress yeah mm-hmm. and it's also cultural like yeah. there are plenty of um other cultural pieces of clothing that yeah, look absolutely. like a women's piece of clothing from america yeah. so yeah it's all very subjective but no yeah, yeah like yeah. i think so it he, was mary right i think it was mary reed because she was always more she she always seemed to play with her gender a little bit more than Anne bonnie did and bonnie did uh it seemed for her it was more of a means to an end, mm. whereas Mary Reed was like, nah, sure. Easier to climb up a ship when you're wearing <laughs> pants than a dress. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it could have happened. I'm not sure what the sources are or anything on this, um, but, you know, that's something I saw in the articles I was reading. So I thought I'd relay it on, you know, whether or not that happened is kind of, again, irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Um, So at around age eight, we sent his records, show him placed in a foster home. And then we see him leaving that foster home at around 14 years old. And he sets what he goes west and he ends up in Silver City, Idaho at around 1867. So it takes him about three years to get all the way over to Idaho. But now he's there. And when he's in Idaho, he arrives fully as a man. He dresses as a man, presents as a man, introduces himself as a man. He does man's work. Mm-hmm. Like, he is a man. So, that's how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, he shows up in the 1870 federal census in southwestern Idaho. Silver City is a really small town at this point, right on the border between Oregon and Idaho, um, kind of in the mountain hills area and he kind of moves back and forth from oregon to idaho just as he moves around um we do know that he voted in the republican primary on august 28th 1880 which was uh if you know anything about women's suffrage far before (laughs) women are able to vote so that's a little plus there um even though idaho was one of the states where they allowed women to vote before federally women were allowed to vote just to get more people in their territory that still puts him 16 16 years ahead of the women he lived with um with his ability to vote so that's a good job playing that game (laughs) right um, he was known as being very private in his daily life, so much so that, as I said, most of what we know comes from after his death and just conversations with neighbors by journalists and stuff like that. Um, so the other residents of Silver City, Idaho, explained to journalists that he began working there first as a livery or in a livery, and then he worked in a sawmill for a while. And then he got into mining and he apparently struck it pretty big. He got, he accumulated a sum of upwards of $3,000. So he made a little bit of money for himself. And of course this is in like 1875 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's quite a bit of pocket change there. $3,000. I mean, I wouldn't turn my nose up at $3,000 today. Mm -mm. (laughs) Um, So he does pretty well for himself. Unfortunately, he does get involved with a really shady mining businessman 
and he invested all of that money and lost all of it. I'm imagining so, a prospector from Toy Story. You know, I think that's a really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he essentially has to start all over again. And to do this, he begins selling milk um, and eggs from the kind of the few animals he still had on his property. And he would also work odd jobs until he had accumulated, accumulated enough of his money back to live comfortably. In around 1883, he let he leaves Silver City and kind of moves into the outskirts in a close town. It's um, it, it's really on the border between Oregon. I kept seeing like, and then he was in I- Oregon, and then he was in Idaho. I was like, can you just pick one? <laughs> pick one, please. <laughs> so he moves to Sucor Creek, Sucker Creek, Sucor Creek, S U C C O R, in about 1883. So yeah, how would you say that? S U C C O R. Sucker. Sucor. 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 Um, so it almost sounds like Sequoia. It does. Yeah. Sucor. Huh. Anyway, so he built himself a really, really simple rudimentary cabin. Some of his neighbors describe it as little more than a chicken coop. Um, he fences in 40 acres of land and he was able to hire to help him at least get started a laborer to help, you know, cut the grass and feed the cows and the horse and the chickens and all of You're busy fencing in 40 acres. Of course you only yeah. have time to build yourself a chicken coop. Yeah. So. No shame. And he was, he was very frugal and the neighbors comment on that too. Hmm. Um, so he, you know, he's doing his business. He's raising cattle, chickens, all this good stuff. Um, and he was always known to be very careful about the money he made as probably since he got screwed yeah. over. Yeah. Um, which like, that's fair. Uh, the townspeople describe him apparently as something of a miser, though it seems like he was still a well-liked figure in the community, because even though he was very well known for living very sparsely in his chicken coop cabin, <laughs> dressing not in fancy clothes, but very humbly, mm-hmm. and often even denying himself food to not spend the money, um, they were still very, even though they knew that he probably had the money, they were still very willing to help and like provide him dinner and all that stuff. Aww. So I, it seems like he, he sounds was like the lovable well, like, curmudgeon of yeah, the town. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like Mr. Fredrickson from up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So during this time, he also took throughout his life, really, he was also known to take his civil duties very seriously. And we see that in records because we have records of him voting and, just basically every election that came up. So, you know, very active citizen. That's mm-hmm. good for him. Love that. Yeah. Um, he apparently even served on jury, uh, on a jury several times, which again, I don't think women were allowed to do at this point. So mm. that's pretty cool. Um, he was also, <laughs> it was also said that he was a very skilled, I don't know, very skilled, but he was a, he could really handle well a revolver and a rifle and he had been become a very accomplished horseman so he's just you know he's a cowboy Mm -hmm. he's got all this stuff going on he's raising cattle he's shooting guns riding horses Mm -hmm. you know um so in 1903 most sources suggest that this was his 53rd birthday that he turns in 1903 um he had lived in his home in the Owyhee Mountains, which I think is the mountain range of that area of Idaho and Oregon, um, for almost four decades, and um, he was very well established and meshed in that in that community. So he is listed on a total of three Idaho census inquiries, all of which identified Monahan as a male. And this is a really interesting tidbit, and um, it kind of speaks to how 
the townspeople were like, hey, man, that's your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1880, a local farmer was the served as the census taker. Um, his name was Ezra, Ezra Mills, and he was the census taker for District 29 of Owyhee County, Idaho Territory. And so this is one of the censuses that obviously Monaghan is included on. And for the sex, Mills recorded as male um, in the appropriate column. Like, okay, yeah. But in the notes section, he made a comment saying doubtful sex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of well known and I'll get into this a little bit later, but like the, the locals were like, yeah, we, we knew that at least he wasn't born as a man, but they all referred to him as him. They treated him as a man and, like, accepted him as a male in we the community. We love that. Yeah, because it, it wasn't a big day. They're like, hey, that's your business, you know? Um, unfortunately, though, in the last couple months of 1903, Monaghan did contract some sort of illness that would kill him in 1904. Um so he sought shelter in a home of a neighbor, uh, the name of which is Barney and Kate Malloy, who lived just down the road. Um, so he, as his sickness worsened, he like went and like they took care of him because he didn't have any family. Mm-hmm. And so it's said that a, a very tough coughing fit took him on the evening of January 5th, 1904, and sometime later that night he passed away so mm-hmm. you know it happens yeah especially when you're on the frontier but still yeah, very still. sad um now this is where we get into the very sensationalized part because story goes that when okay he's dead when they went to prepare his body for burial they're like oh my stars this is a woman's body and the whole town folk were just, oh, they were so shocked and they did not know what to do with themselves. They're just, journalists and reporters were like, these t- simple town folk are just, their Which minds is funny because it sounds like they all knew. No, they definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so it said that, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, I just sorry, I lost, I lost going, my place. Good lord. Yep. Oh, my stars. So... It said that at this point, when the townspeople did discover his, you know, sex, his biological sex, they were so struck in that they just reported it to all these newspapers. They're like, you would never believe what happened, including an expose in the American Journal Examiner. Um, They didn't really know what to do with his body because, I don't know, it was probably, it seems kind of crappy the way they treated him after I guess once they had confirmation, you know, mm-hmm. that like, oh, this is, you know, this is outside of our rules and what the Lord deems appropriate, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So unfortunately they Which did. Which is interesting because you don't see the stigma around uh-huh. cross-dress, like what at the time would have been considered cross-dressing uh-huh. until like, like that late Victorian, like there's that mm-hmm. huge winter mentality. Like I was yep. reading cause I wanted to do something because this was 1904. Yeah. Well, I was looking into, I went down a rabbit hole when I was doing my research and they were, I was, um, I was reading about, um, what's the, um, Buddha, the Hindu text. Um, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm an idiot. Ah, I, I really wish I knew what you're trying to say. Mm, 
No, 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 no. I'm not thinking of that thing at all. Um, okay. But, no, sorry. I mixed up different classes that we had in undergrad. Um, but I was reading in about how there's a lot, like, there's so many countries where homosexuality and, like, presenting differently than you're assigned at birth, like, it was totally normal until, like, British imperialism Told and them that, prudishness hey, was, you like... you think that's normal. Yeah, yeah and it's, it sucks because it's, like, yes. everyone was so much more chill before the white people got involved. God. <laughs> anyway, anyway yeah so Thanks, but yeah it's shocking because like I at know, that time it, it's it wouldn't seem it's like these neighbors who accepted him in life were like kind of like shunning him in death which is frustrating but at least they accepted him in life and didn't give him a hard time and you yeah. know all that stuff because he could have lived a really hard life yeah you know? um so they didn't really know what to do with his body so they gave him a rather simple funeral there was a local who was closer friends with him than these random neighbors who buried him um, that talked to a Boise newspaper when he basically learned about how Monaghan had been treated in death. And this friend says, quote, not a word was smoke- spoken, not a word read, not a prayer offered. Little Joe never did harm and did anyone harm. And these are his words, this friends of, mm-hmm. of Joe's. So, just to be clear, because he does use she, her pronouns in this. Mm-hmm. But um, he continues and says, quote, Little Joe never did anyone harm. So far as it, so far as is known, her life was pure, although disguised as a man. And who can say they never sinned more than Little Joe? And who knows the cause that made her do as she did? A cause that might have made any one of us a vagabond, a drunkard, or a criminal. So let's, let us pray that Little Joe's soul has been received at the pearly gates as we would wish ours to be received. So, at least, it's at least he had one person on his side. Well, it's interesting, too, how, like, women who have dressed as men or presented as men throughout history are seen in one of two ways. Either as, like, it is a choice that they make out of their own, like, expression and mm-hmm. desire, or they do it out of utility. Like, yeah. women who would sneak aboard a ship or something like that. Like, yes. it's interesting how it gets presented differently and people see it differently. Because even, I mean, no matter what you want to present you have to admit guys had it a heck of a lot oh yeah like being well, the, independent yeah, it was a heck of a lot easier to be independent well uh, too i think i think what makes joe beyond that kind of necessity cross-dressing mm-hmm. you know that a lot of women did throughout history is that he lived as a man for so long oh right and that's not and at all was, what i was putting into question no, no no i'm just saying like it made me think of this yeah like yeah it's just was interesting ultimately no reason why he could not have lived as a woman yeah in because it's a small town no one's gonna come banging down his door and say hey you can't raise cows it's the frontier things might have been pretty rough on a woman in the frontier alone but like it 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 would have been doable it would have been possible and i guarantee you that there were thousands of women at the time living independently on the frontier Mm -hmm. because it's a frontier and everyone has to work Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if it's men's work or women's work well and if men's work had been upsetting him that much he could have you know yeah decided to present as a woman but like yeah it it obviously goes beyond utility yeah it goes beyond and for four decades to live and act and function in society as a man consistently that's a commitment and never tell anyone anything differently that to me it says that's, this is more that's than who I am. Yes. Rather exactly. than what I'm doing. Yes. That's a good way to put it. 
Um, so as I said, newspaper at the state level, um, and even some reports I got nationally reported that neighbors were shocked to discover that Joe had been born a woman because of course it was this depicted as this big dramatic. He had fooled us all for decades, but little did we know he was actually a woman. That's just, that's not true. That's not what happened. Um, for example, a, a newspaper out of Olympia, Washington explained with the certainty of an eyewitness that quote, when friendly neighbors were preparing the body for burial, burial, the community was given a decided shock when it was announced that Joe Monahan was a woman. But yeah, the reality of that situation was much, much less dramatic. Um, it didn't really catch any of them significantly off guard. In fact, most reports that his neighbors gave to journalists kind of seemed they, the sentiment was basically that like, yeah, we always suspected, but yeah, it's just Joe. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so his, one of the neighbors who was reportedly one of Joe's friends, William Schnabel, explained that, quote, it was always surmised that Joe was a woman. He was a small, beardless little man with the hands, feet, and stature, stature and voice of a woman. So kind of like, <laughs> duh. But they still were like, yeah, that's Joe. He, him. <laughs> like, yeah. Which I love for that. I like, that's so cool, you know. Um, but Schnabel continues and says, quote, no one could vouch for the truth of it. He would never reveal his identity. He had fought his way through with many of us, suffered hardship and hunger in the early days and never whimpered. The cowboys treated him with the greatest respect and he was always welcome to eat and sleep in their camps. He never told a world a word to his best friends who he was and what he was. So like That's he was so interesting. So he's just not so nonchalant about it. Yeah, and this man is talking about him after the fact, and he's still using in yeah, this quote, yeah. fr- which is a primary source. Yeah, he's using he him. And which that's says that so that's that's what he was to them. He was. Yeah. Yeah. No question so. about it. No, and no, as far as we know gender reassignment surgery or anything no yeah you know yeah i mean it would have been pretty tough i mean it was already tough for lily and oh yeah that wasn't very modern (laughs) and that was much more yeah yeah much more modern Um, and this is idaho in 18 obviously yeah (laughs) but like um there are some people that will like invalidate people before they've had surgery absolutely which is complete bull but Mm -hmm. yeah i love that yeah so that's really the story of little joe monahan he was pretty cool um and just to end off on his legacy so his story became popular within western magazines in the 1950s as did a lot of other stories in the west um because the west really Mm -hmm. became glamorized in the 50s um gotta love old western films in 1981 there was a play written by barbara lebro called little joe monahan and in 1993 the movie the ballad of little joe was apparently loosely based off of his story wait what was the name of the movie? The Ballad of Little Joe. Have you seen that? N- it's a VeggieTales movie. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And The Ballad of Little Joe is a VeggieTales movie. I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> I watched it. No, okay. No, this is different. There no, is I know, a, it's, I know it's different. There is a VeggieTales episode called The Ballad of Little Joe. Well, and no, most VeggieTales are based off of another like film or like movie or they're like a satire on another film or movie but you said the ballad of little joe and i this is like a western yes this is weird because so in the 1993 (laughs) movie not veggie tales it's j-o as in the shortened version of joanna 
which is more feminine. But the Veggie Tales is the Ballad of Little Joe. It's J O E. It's J O E. Yes, I know because I watched it a lot as a child. That's why it threw me off when you said the Ballad of. Anyway, Veggie Tales woke question mark. Veggie Tales says trans rights. I love this Veggie Tales. We stay. Details said trans rights. Oh my I'm god! This. That's so That's funny. amazing. They had to know. They did they though? I don't know. We're gonna go with that. I believe that Bob and Larry support trans rights. I you know actually what? I don't know if I. <laughs> well, I've seen Bob and Larry. All right, I've been around them enough. I feel like they're funky little dudes. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I, I feel okay, like I'm gonna outside vibe of the with context it. of a Christian show, I would hang out with them. You know what? I'm vibing. Let's just go with it. Yeah. I need to believe that my childhood isn't complete. There you go. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so that was Lil Joe Monahan. And yeah, so I just a really cool story. A little cool piece of history. And still we're remembering you, Joe. Good for you, buddy. So the next one I want to talk about is actually an indigenous person um, by the name of uh, Wei Wa. Um, Actually, I believe it's pronounced Wee-Wa. I'm not sure. I keep wanting to say Wei, but it's, I think it's Wee. Should we Google it? Is it possible to Google it and check? Or is it like... No, I, I'm remembering a video I saw of people ah. pronouncing um, her name. The amount of so... times... I, I'm ashamed to admit the amount of times I've had to go and like pronounceify or something well, like that. Everyone has to do that. <laughs> but it's for stupid stuff too. Sometimes I'm like, oh gosh. Oh God, do I know that word? <laughs> It'll be like, absolutely. Oh no. <laughs> like, I can't say well, that. Technically it's supposed to be pronounced Nish, I think, but I've always said Nish. Like, ish, like niche. Niche. That's how everyone says it. Okay, I keep hearing yeah. people say it niche lately, and I, it makes me think I'm doing it wrong. I've heard niche, and I've heard, like, niche, but I've never heard niche. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I, I think that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Weewa was born into the Zuni tribe in around 1849 in what is today New Mexico. The Zuni people are um, an indigenous group in the southwestern United States. Um, that historically, and I think currently kind of reside in the northwestern portion of New Mexico. So towards Arizona, north of that area of the state. New Mexico. I love New Mexico. It's a, such a gorgeous state. Mm-hmm. It's very underrated. Um, yeah, white sands and mountains and like, you got a lot going on there. Like there's yeah. so much, yeah, it's very, very pretty. Um, just to my own two cents on New Mexico. Apparently, I needed to offer them. When I visited my <laughs> aunt, I expected like desert because I have consumed too much media. Um, there are then, lots of the state that are just desert. There are, yeah, but like but, when we were driving through the um, through the mountains, I was like, oh my gosh! It's so nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So 1849 also happens to believe the year that we believe is the first kind of Zuni, probably not contact with. Americans, um, like settling their region, but like real, the beginning of like real interactions between the Zuni people and the Americans. Um, so, you know, that comes, that brings a whole, were a lot of them in that area, like people who had pre-established in America, like first or second gen and then gone out that way. Or were they like Europeans coming to colonize? I don't know that geography very well. Well, it's 1850. Okay. So yeah. So I would say they're, they're Americans at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't know my 
my Western expansion knowledge isn't as good as it should be. Spanish settled, colonized, whatever they did in New Mexico. I don't think they ever really stuck around in New Mexico, but I think they moved through New Mexico. Well, it's also hard because, like, you have the Texas Revolution and, like, what used to be Mexico is But, like, I feel like they would have been... They had those Zuni people would have been in contact, would have known about. They were like American. People. Yes, but okay. these are the first times they're actually having to like interact and gotcha, deal gotcha, with, cool, like, okay. regular thing. Not cool. That was really bad. For them. <laughs> Sorry, not cool. <laughs> yeah, so obviously, not great. Ends up being not great as most of this does. But at first, because they had some pretty big um, enemies of the area in the area in the form of other tribes like the Comanche. Um, they allied with the United States because the United States were like, oh, we'll help you beat them and then we'll leave you alone. Lie. <laughs> mm, <laughs> yeah, no. that's not what happened, obviously. Um, so they're kind of working with them at this point. Uh, you know, it's very complicated history as all of this is. Unfortunately, though, because if there's one thing colonists are good at doing is bringing diseases. So they brought smallpox to the village and in 1853 and... Um, this is what is believed to have killed both of, uh, Weeba's parents. Um, mm. though it's not like confirmed. We do know that they were orphaned as a child. So, um, it's unsure how, but it's believed that like around this time is when that happened. Okay. So, uh, Weeba and their brother were then adopted by a aunt on their father's side. And while this would have, um, usually meant that like okay now you're only in like your dad's tribal clan and not your mom's um they were allowed to kind of exist in both so uh Weeba remained a member of uh their mother's tribal clan which is known as the and forgive me for this pronunciation but the Donashikwe or the Badger people and um he was also able to remain to retain ceremonial ties to his father's clan which is Bichikwe or the dogwood people um what's really interesting about this is that his aunt's family who she was now living with uh was actually really wealthy and influential among the zuni people which put Weewa in a really super great position <laughs> to be yeah. <laughs> influential yeah. themselves so i'm gonna pause here um because i'm sure you've noticed me using all pronouns mm-hmm. for Weewa. Yeah. And that is because what I see in the articles and the videos I was watching from Zuni people talking about Weewa, this is what I believe is the most appropriate. If I am incorrect in that, please correct me. And I am more than happy to correct myself. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as I saw, I saw people using he, him, she, her, and they, them to describe uh, Weewa. So I'm just altering between all of them. Okay. Because I feel like I feel I don't know if any one of those is accurate to okay. Weewa's experience. Um, not to say that I'm assigning pronouns to anyone, right? But um, during like contemporary to Weewa's life, like we had some of um, her friends like referring to him as she and he. So at the time, so okay, it's I mean you know, it's cultural too because yes. like the the idea of like binaries and assigning genders and all that is like a cultural thing nowadays yes, I'm, as well so i'm that's another reason why i'm pausing here because i want to talk take a moment to talk about gender specifically in context 
of this story. And again, I am very much an outsider looking in. So I'm going to do my best to explain. I don't have all the answers and I don't pretend like I do, but this is just what I saw online. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that I'm doing it justice. So the Zuni people have had a long standing kind of practice of honoring those who identify as outside of that male and female binary. Mm-hmm. Um, these individuals are known as the, and I practice forever on this pronunciation. So still going to butcher it probably, but it's uh, the, it's like the Yawama, Yawamana, Yawamana. It's like the Yawamana. It's like a YW. Okay. Yama. <laughs> yeah, I had it down earlier. I was able to do it. Ugh. Um, so these uh, Yawamana people were it was. basically. <laughs> do that was good. Thank you. Um, to describe them, they were individuals who were biologically male who decide to take on the social and ceremonial roles of women within the Zuni culture. Um, this doesn't have to be a full-time thing. It's not a full female to or male to female transition. It's kind of like just freedom to move within the male and female roles of the Zuni society as one pleases. This, um, this was actually a really highly like thought of thing within the Zuni culture. Mm -hmm. And often these individuals were well regarded. They had high roles in um, like ceremonial, like in spiritual significance. They were thought of as healers, artists, um, just very like Mm -hmm. influential people to the culture. And we definitely fit this mold. Um, Contemporary people, Zuni people who identified as Yawama. Yeah. I keep forgetting. It's the, it's all the A's. It's, it's because it's L-H-A-M-A-N-A. So Yawamana. The Yawamana people who are like modern can sometimes identify as two-spirit, which is a word and term we've heard a lot more. I've heard that, yeah. Um, And I have no authority on two-spirit um but some of these individuals do identify as two-spirit although it's not they're not conflated with each other so like you don't have to be two-spirit if you're yawamana you are yawamana it's just however you identify Mm -hmm. two-spirit is also a kind of cross-culture or trans nation national Mm -hmm. term for native tribes because over 150 tribes that are original to the United States had some form of like either third gender gender identity or term for people who exist oh, without cool. or outside of the male female um, gender binary. Is that why you hear it more often? Uh, Two spirit, I believe, is kind of the umbrella term, and okay. it's kind of the term that Native people who exist who identify as not male or female have kind of reclaimed for themselves and okay. find themselves under but the zuni specific term is this okay yawamana mm-hmm. term okay yes. yeah so um yeah so that's that and we do have some accounts from the 1800s that note that these yawamana individuals that say while they were quote dressed in female attire they were often hired for work that required the strength and endurance such as hunting big game and chopping firewood so very much inhabiting characteristics of so um both and oh my god i literally just rewound it to find my place and then i lost it again so um as i was saying earlier both masculine and feminine pronouns have been used for these 
Yawamana people, um, specifically as well as when we're talking about Wei Wa, we do see masculine and feminine pronouns used for them. Um, one of Wei Wa's longtime friends and like most it really did seem like they were genuinely friends. Her name was Matilda Cox Stevenson. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about her later, but she describes, this is two excerpts where she's describing, uh, we want as both male and female are using those pronouns. So she says, quote, she performs masculine religious and judicial functions at the same time that she performs feminine duties, tending to laundry in the gardens. Um, she is one of the most, or they are one of, the beginning of the sentence is cut off, but the quote starts, the most intelligent person in the Pueblo, strong character made his word law among both men and women with whom he associated. Through his wrath was, though his wrath was dreaded by men as well as women, he was loved by all children to whom he was ever kind. So in those two experts, excerpts taken from her writings about Wiwa, we see her mm-hmm. using both. Interchangeably, yeah. Yeah, interchangeably. So that's kind of why, and, um, Wee was featured on a Google Doodle last year, which is actually how I found out about them. So love Google Doodles. Yeah. And so Google put together a video of modern Zuni people talking about Wee and, you know, her legacy and everything within the Zuni people. And we had one person using she, her, and the other person using he, him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it really seemed like, it's okay. Fluid. It's yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one really interesting thing about kind of that non-binary just existing without outside of the european male female binary binary mm-hmm. of of human gender is that a lot of indigenous people don't identify with the term non-binary okay because non-binary um is a very european concept oh yeah that it's, it's been fo- enforced on them it's not well, really theirs or is it because so non-binary is a concept that is explaining someone it's like it's <laughs> so it's a concept that is explaining what is happening within the european system of gender gotcha okay indigenous people don't have a european system of gender right so non-binary is not always an accurate term for how indigenous people identify which i believe is why two-spirit has become such a popular no i don't want to say mm-hmm. popular but like so many people identify as two two spirit and not non-binary because non-binary is a very european standard or european mm-hmm. way of thinking about things even though it's outside of like european gender rules mm-hmm. it's really interesting it's just two conceptions of gender yeah. that are different yeah and it's hard to get your head around because you know you're it either raised in one or the other mm-hmm. <laughs> um it makes sense i think but like do you know i don't know this and you might not either has the concept of binary been forced uh, like from the eurocentric standpoint been forced on indigenous people before like male like, female binary yeah, well not just like that but like the terminology itself non-binary. Like binary. I, I don't know how long that's been i have seen a lot of people on tiktok not a lot but i've seen more than one person on tiktok who is indigenous and does identify as not within the male female gender mm-hmm. spectrum. Okay. Say that non-binary is a European okay kind cool. of okay cool concept. And that's I wasn't why sure they... if historically the term non-binary had been enforced on them like previously. No, I, I think but non-binary is pretty new. Because yeah, I've only seen it. Yeah. I've only seen it in the last 
few years mm-hmm. prominently, but that doesn't mean it hasn't been around longer. And I'm just ignoring it. Yeah, I think non binary is pretty new. I mean, it's probably, I would say maybe like within the second half of the 21st century, but. Okay, cool. Wait, we're in the 21st century. The 20th century. The 20, yeah, I know no. what you meant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I would say it's relatively new. Not it's. I don't think it's old enough to be like in this way enforced on them. Okay. But that's one point that I've seen bring up a lot because in, this is a quote I pulled directly from one of the articles I was reading because it says as well. So it says indigenous writers on these roles feel that these identities cannot be reduced solely to same sex desire or adherence to conventional set of gender roles, even modern transgender or gender cre- gender queer ones. So okay. it's just it's. Because we function, like you and I function mm-hmm. under a European gender system or a Western gender system. Right. Our terms for people who don't fit in with that gender system. Right. Are don't, not accurate. Don't to, apply to them. Yes. Yeah. The indigenous experience. As far as I understand, that's basically the idea there. Okay. Which is really interesting to me um, because a lot of people also talk about how different indigenous, like, storytelling specifically fiction storytelling is Hmm. because we exist under a very western european fiction storytelling and so i see a lot of people on tiktok talking about like read a book by a fiction book by an indigenous author and it is not the same type of storytelling that you are familiar with which is really interesting because you're like what do you mean there's one way of storytelling but there's really not yeah there's really not and it's just it's so so fascinating to see how yeah cultures can develop so radically different from each other yeah yeah um so as i said these yamana people really constituted a very well socially recognized third gender role within the zuni people and they were often held and they often held positions of power and honor of the community so they were like they were not shunned they were embraced and Mm -hmm. so it's really cool so um it's kind of cool though it's like you applaud them for not being stuck in the confines of one or the other mm-hmm. that's really i like that way of thinking about it yeah yeah no, it's that's cool. much healthier <laughs> i know right um so as young children as young as three and four could be recognized as yamana um or having yamana like spirit or tendencies i'm not sure what that process looks like as far as being like oh we should inc- we should talk to this child about this. you know what i mean mm-hmm. um However, we do know that uh, Weiwa was first introduced in religious ceremonies for Zuni boys at the age of 12. So it seems as though at least um, until she was 12, she did identify as male, although I could be completely wrong as that, as on that. We mm-hmm. just know that she did participate in this male religious ceremony. Okay. Um, a few years later, it's thought that the tribe reportedly recognized um, Weiwa's Yamana yeah, <laughs> I keep messing it up. Yamana, Yamana trades, uh, Yawamana, Yawamana. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and began kind of training her in the traditional female roles as well as the male roles. Weewa um, did receive, again, some instruction that was specific to men, but was largely trained under their female relatives, which meant that, you know, he got all the female stuff, like how to grind and prepare corn. Mm-hmm. Um she also studied crafts she was taught by a kinswoman who was an expert in ceramics and she trained for years to master pottery um and she got so so good at it she is known as like one of the zuni's best potters of like their history oh wow 
Um, he also became a very skilled weaver, which is usually a male role in this. So women were potters and men were weavers, which I thought was really interesting too. That is. I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. interesting. I wonder, I wonder why that line got drawn. You know, like what's that history? I mean, if you work with livestock and you're doing heavy lifting, there's heavy bales of like, uh, what I guess, whatever kind of fleece or like you're using Whatever it and it's material. heavy, then men yeah. might have been carrying it. Maybe it just was given that men carried it around and then woke yeah, it. Yeah, maybe so. That's, yeah, I, it's really, really interesting. So that's a terrible speculation, by the way. There's probably some very, very cool reason. And that was like my, my yeah. weird, I, <laughs> my <laughs> one idea. It's heavy. So men carry hey, it. I don't know. A lot of stuff with history is like, it starts off as something like that. And then if it's around long enough, there's usually some like lore legend that yeah. develops around of it. And it's so, it's so cool how history does that because humans are just, oh, I'm going to yeah. tell a story. That's essentially what humans do yeah. is I'm going to tell a story. Well, have you this. heard that? Like, this is a little off topic, but like, let like that lore about why so many people are right-handed compared to left-handed. Oh, because people thought the left-handed children were like devil's children. Well, not that, but, like, before that, there's this, like, evolutionary theory. Because there is a while, like, where, you know, you get like, your knuckles wrapped in school if you, uh-huh. like, wrote with your left hand. But there's this, like, evolutionary theory that I saw. I and I do not know if it's credible at all. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that your heart is on the left side. And women working in the fields and stuff, when you were carrying a newborn who had to feed off, and you'd carry your newborn with you. And what calms mm-hmm. them? The sound of your heart. So if you're oh. always pressing a baby to the right side of your, the left side of your body, it you leaves your right your hand, hand free. Oh. And and I was like, who knows if that's even true? But it's a really cool story. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of fun. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. So yeah, it's like that. It's like I couldn't tell you why, but I can tell you stories about why. Yeah. No, I love it. It's so there's so much, and when, especially when you look at like religion, you're like, oh, this story is trying to explain this phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know? And so people are like, yeah. I'm gonna tell a story about it, and I think that's so. And still, it's my so favorite thing is how you can see the same stories pop up in, like, what the... I can never pronounce it. I'm so sorry. The Enuma, Enuma Elish. The Enuma Elish. The, oh, thank yeah. you. Um, and, like, the Great Flood that shows up there. And then, like, and the Bible's Gilgamesh, Great Flood. And Gilgamesh, there's, there's a, lot a lot of it. Yeah. And, like, the Bible talks about Noah's Ark. It's, like, there's storytelling and oral histories are so fascinating mm-hmm. and so yeah. cool. Oh, I just love stories. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we had anyway, to get on our nerd stuff there yeah. for a minute. Oh, I guess we like history. I know you're like you guys didn't you're know in that. awe of history. We <laughs> um, <laughs> hadn't figured it out by now, right? Uh, so Weewa became a very skilled weaver, who and she was able to learn different looms in order to make blankets, belts, and sashes. She was actually among the first of the Zuni to actually sell their pottery and textiles, which really helped not only the Zuni community or like people, but just native people as a whole be taken more seriously in the arts and see their craft as like actual legit craft. Are you good over there? (laughs) Yes. Are you sure? Did you hear the pop? Yeah, I did. Okay. That was my finger. I figured. My poor little finger. (laughs) Anyway. So. Did you stick olives on your fingers as a child? I didn't like all of so I didn't do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so there was this man by the name of George Wharton, Wharton, bleh, Wharton James, and he was, he died in 1923. So, you know, he was a white man of the time, but he was considered an expert on Native American weaving styles, whatever that means for the time. Whatever. He was highly respected. 
at the time. And he said, quote, she was an expert weaver and her pole of soft stuff was laden with the work of her, of her loom bl- blankets and dresses exquisitely woven with a delicate perception of color values that delighted the eye of the connoisseur. So Weewa was really thought very highly of, hmm. um, even by like Westerners and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, he was also a man, a member of the men's Kachina society, which performed ritual mast dances, uh, she also joined the Medicine Society, which was which is the Beshat Siloque or the Bedbug People. After um, a shaman was able to cure them of an, of an ailment, so they joined the Medicine Society, I guess, as a way to be like, oh, thank you. Hmm. Um, during their childhood, uh, the Zuni people as a whole lived under the threat of Mav- Navajo and Apache raids. Sorry, I said Comanche earlier. It was Apache. I was thinking of the A's again. Apparently, I get I really get stuck on A's. I one thing this podcast has taught me that if there's too many A's in a word, I have a hard time. With it's okay. It. If there's too many numbers, any if there's more than one number in a sequence, I'm screwed. If there's more than one A, I'm like I'm sorry, I can't pronounce. For that. Kaylee, it's the L- A's. For Cat, it's the numbers. Doesn't work. There's an A in my name. Anyway, so um, as I said earlier, the conflicts with the Navajo and Apache were what caused them to rely pretty heavily on diplomacy with the United States or the Americans throughout the 1850s and 60s. Um, While this did kind of work a little bit, obviously those relations soured as we began to, or as Americans began to really feel that, oh, we have to... I did a whole episode on this, um, the Indian boarding schools episode, but Mm, we have to make them assimilate into our society because we're saving them whatever bullshit that is. Um, So those relations really went down. Um, However, the Zuni people did, were able to remain culturally and socially isolated from the Americans until kind of the 1870s, which was meant that they were able to preserve their culture um, from those assimilation attempts, at least until then. Um, At that time, both Anglo and Hispanic herders were beginning to encroach on Zuni land. Um, So it's getting to the point where, okay, it's inconvenient for you to be here now. And that means that, guess what? We're paying attention to you now. Please It's really unfortunate. Um, One positive thing, which is funny that it was such a positive because normally it wouldn't be. And I think as a whole it wasn't, but at least there's a silver lining. So these Protestant missionaries showed up. And they were determined to convert the Zuni people to Christianity, as missionaries do, which is frustrating. Mm. But in 1970, they were they were kind of around. They interacted with the tribe. They built a school. Nothing really came of it. In 1979, the U.S. government created the Bureau of Ethnology, and they sent an expedition to collect artifacts and record the customs of the Zuni people. Part of that mission sent Matilda Cox Stevenson, who I mentioned earlier, who would become incredibly close friends with Weiwa, considering her position over Weiwa and mm-hmm. Weiwa's people. Um, but she was the wife of the expedition leader, James Stevenson. Um, and apparently, reportedly, she was immediately just fascinated with Weiwa, and they became very, very fast friends. Um, she was extremely impressed by Weiwa's or Weewa's extensive knowledge of both Zuni history and culture, describing them as, quote, again, the most intelligent person in the Pueblo. Um, so, as I said earlier, Stevenson refers to her friend as he and she. Um, but sometimes after 1904, she writes in her diary, quote, 
As the writer could not could never think of her faithful and devoted friend in any other light, she will continue to use the feminine gender when referring to Weewa. So it's very clear that like conversations about gender specifically with Weewa are present and hmm. she's having them with this white lady from the East in 1904. Cool. Or at least in the 1890s. Like it's so fascinating. Um, Stevenson would visit the Zuni Pueblo people number a number of times between 1879 and 19, 1897. Um, and again, it was mainly just to visit Weewa because they were friends. In 1885, the Stevenson couple brought Weewa back with them to Washington, D.C. for six months, where she served as essentially an ambassador for the Zuni people in Washington, D.C. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like, other... She was basically, like, a delegate to the Capitol. Um, They intended the visit to foster cultural change and generate interest in further anthropological research. Um, and she was embraced in Washington. Like, Weiwa was, like, they really, like, she had, she met the president. She, like, Grover Cleveland. She was able to, like, get invitations to society. She was incredibly popular. And they were really able, it was very well known that, you know, he was very charming and just well-liked and all of this stuff. And it's really 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 fascinating that the time with these people are all these rules like it's really interesting yeah i have a hard time imagining that situation and i can't tell if it's because like it feels like tokenism it does and because i I mean they're expanding over the rest of the world taking out indigenous culture without a care in the world and then when they're in you know come meet the president you're an ambassador for but we're not actually going to listen to you and i can't tell if it's like fetishization of the culture or if it's like tokenism it just feels so weird to me because you see it with like pocahontas too that she was taken back as like a souvenir yeah and i think a lot of that was happening because you can't get away with that or get away from that at this point in Mm -hmm. time um but with how close that um stevenson and we were like i do genuinely think that they were actually friends oh I, i'm not doubting that yeah. they actually like had so, a friendship it's just so weird to me because that's i thought pocahontas was more of the anomaly but hearing this no, like, like they, yeah. they just brought people back to and of court course, to show them off you know we wanted to go because they were sold this lie likely that oh yeah. if you go you can help, help advocate and, yeah which is not true um but it does i'm glad that their gender was not mocked or make fun made fun of oh no i yeah. i do newspapers I do appreciate referred that. to him as the indian princess if anything they thought that you know she was a cisgendered woman which is not accurate to their gender but mm-hmm. I, I as far as i can tell they weren't being they weren't dealing with any flack related to gender while they were in DC. That's really good. Which, like that's impressively surprising. Probably the best you can hope for. Yeah. Um, yeah. At this point in history. It really is. So huh. yeah. Um, uh, Weiwa was able to not only donate Zuni artifacts to the Smithsonian Institute, but she was also to create artifacts to donate to the Smithsonian Institute. We have a lot of pictures of him creating photographs because that was part of the deal it's like hey can you come make these things and we'll take your picture and we'll put it in the museum Mm -hmm. and so it was 
I think they painted it as like, oh, well, you're just spreading awareness about your people. And so, of course, why wouldn't you want to do that, right. you know, for your people? Um, so they had uh, Weebo pose for photographs to document Zuni techniques of weaving, weaving and donated those crafts to the museum collections. I just said that, but I'm reading my notes now. <laughs> um, so this meant that the Zuni people, like Weibo's visit to DC was basically secured the Zuni people as one of the most well-known tribes in all of the American West in the 1880s. Um, and so it was hoped that, you know, this would mean that the U S would kind of like respect them. Of course they didn't. Mm -hmm. So, um, in not soon after her visit to DC, the U S office of Indian affairs did extend its policy to, of assimilation to the Zuni people, which of course meant it's a lot of hardship for the Zuni people. Yeah. Um, and if you're curious about that, you can listen to the Indian boarding school episode because that's just a part of the lovely, lovely pie that that policy yeah. was very disgusting. Um, so don't love that. Not great. You know, mm-hmm. no, that's not never good. Um, but you know, she did what she could for her people while she was alive and that's I think the important part so um when she returned to the Zuni community there those conflicts that had been kind of boiling between the Zuni people and the government um kind of exploded he was actually arrested along with five other Zuni leaders that were accused of witchcraft and he did serve a month in prison which I thought was really interesting I didn't see anything else about that also there's like literally five no like three or four articles about him (laughs) so i'm just like yeah you gotta work with what you got yeah yeah so whether or not that's true i saw it so i was like okay (laughs) interesting um interesting yeah i wouldn't put it past her you know yeah yeah so she did pass away at the age of 49 as the result of heart disease in 1896 so very upsetting um really young but you know she was really able to make a huge impact while he was alive. And that's so cool. Um, the Zuni people consider her death as a calamity. So it was a really big hit. And I think a lot of Zuni people today really look up to her because, you know, Mm -hmm. to live so authentically Mm -hmm. during that time when it was literally when, and yeah, doing it visibly, especially in a place like meeting the president and do it visibly during a time when the government was actively taking away your ability to do so visibly yeah. is really empowering. It's impressive, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, she left a profound legacy as a ceremonial leader, cultural ambassador, and artist who worked to preserve the Zuni way of life. We have a lot of Zuni artifacts in museums today because of his work and all that he's done for his community. Stevenson does recall... Um, we was last words to her saying, quote, love all my people. They are your children. You are their mother. Wow. And that is we So I hope I did that justice. That's so interesting. Isn't Thank it? you. Yeah. I've wondered because you've had that on the topics list for a while. And I just kept sitting there like, when's she going to do it? When's she going to do it? When's she going to do it? And yeah. I'm so glad you finally did because. Yeah. No, I mean, I've been holding out for, I mean, you know, pride, but. Yeah. I, it's it's not, you know, corporate pride. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like trans 
the trans community gets kind of left out of a lot of conversations. Um, I'm really glad so. we had a theme fall during a theme week. Yeah. And, and that reminds me before I leave, I wanted to um, give some, if you were able to donate or volunteer for any of these groups, I'm sure they would love your help, especially during pride. Um, so we have the big LGBTQ plus groups like the Trevor project and the human rights, human rights campaign foundation. Um, some trans specific ones, if you are interested in donating or getting involved with them, I just wanted to offer some resources. Uh, one is the national center for transgender equality. Um, the transgender transgender legal defense and education fund um, and trans lifeline those are some recommendations it's always interesting with charities so be sure to do your research before you give anyone your money just as a general disclaimer disclaimer um there's trans kids trans youth unfortunately are facing a lot of really obnoxious stuff in areas of the south right now and i know that there has to be charities and everything and that are state specific mm-hmm. that um provide care for those kids where yeah. it's being revoked by the government and so um look into that i would encourage you to do that and yes mm-hmm. all and of that stuff there's something to be said as well for um just being supportive in your local communities in mm-hmm. any way that they might be asking you to or just being supportive and openly supportive because you don't know who around you might not be able to come out um, because of circumstances at home or in their life. There yeah. are a lot of people, especially in the trans community, that face so much stigma um, and especially in a lot of um, BIPOC, a lot of like communities like that that mm-hmm. – they struggle with it oftentimes even more. So just being supportive in any way you can, whether that be donating money through any means, just being vocally supportive of LGBTQ groups. Just like literally respecting people's pronouns. You know, like that's Bare great. freaking minimum. Yep. Bare minimum. That's the least you could do. But yeah. But it means a lot because like Kat said, you, you know, don't know who's you don't watching know. you and you don't know what they're perceiving you as. So and you also don't just don't know the history of the person that you're talking to. Yeah, you really don't. So um, that's kind of our just have some human decency. Yeah. And be kind and just be nice. Just be nice. I, I wish it was not such a big ask right now in the world, but God, please I just know. be nice. Please just be nice. Anyway, guys. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you learned we learned you something. Yep. Um, if you want to <laughs> suggest something, so I know I've lost my our <laughs> pitch is usually so well practiced at the end. I know. If you want us to talk about something cool, fascinating, interesting, you know that you can always tweet at us at t i n a h l podcast. Or if you want to shoot us an email because you just have so many really cool ideas, we would love to hear them. You can email us at this is not a history lecture at gmail dot com. Or if you just want to say happy birthday to me, <laughs> I will take all of the birthday wishes. But she will. Um, gladly, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, yeah, remember to review us if you like this episode. You want to hear more. Um, reviewing us is the number one way to help us get promoted to other people. And so. every review you leave is one more VeggieTales reference I'm going to make on this show. Oh, God, I don't know if they want to leave reviews after that. Every okay, every <laughs> review you leave is one more VeggieTales that I incessantly sing a where is my hairbrush and follow Kaylee around for the day. Okay, well. I'm just going to 
annoy you with veggie tales. Annoy me and not them. That's yeah. fair enough. Anyway. Um, so, and yeah. thank you to all of, uh, we got a huge influx of listeners a few yeah. weeks ago. And thanks for those of you that like kept coming back. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and I guess I'll keep making stupid TikToks about our topics. Uh, speaking of which, you didn't post one. Yeah. I forgot because I was on a beach. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> to be fair. Um, uh, I guess I can't be mad at you about that. But I will be trying harder. <laughs> anyway, guys, this is a reminder that this has not been a history lecture. Bye. Bye.